Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, welcome to Walking with Freya. If you're new here, uh, welcome to this space. And if you are not new, then thank you for coming back. I know it's been several months since I've put another episode out, but that's how life is. Life is very busy and putting out an episode is time consuming. And as much as I love to do it, I don't have as much time as I used to. So I appreciate you still being here and coming back when the episode comes on or comes out. And I just want to go ahead and apologize ahead of time. I do have a cold or a cough or whatever, just kind of a lingering lung thing, which I haven't, I haven't had one like this since I was living in Indiana in coal country with, you know, the air pollution. So this one's kind of taken me out for a bit, but here we are. So, um, I just wanted to get this out. I was excited to get this episode out. I've been trying to get it out for several months and Molly, who this episode was with, she and I actually had a conversation in the fall, but then we decided to re-record partly because she was actually at the time getting over a cold. So her voice wasn't as strong. Um, so I met Molly Fuller, who is sister to Brooke and Brooke is an adult with Prader-Willi syndrome. I met them both at the PWSA United in Hope convention last June. Molly and I met in the hallways through a mutual friend, and then again when she came to my workshop on therapeutic journaling. And when I mentioned Gabor Mate in my talk, she expressed her excitement, and there was forged a bond over Dr. Gabor Mate, who is absolutely worth the search for those who don't know him. He's a guest on many podcasts and has a number of books out. He's a physician. His latest book is called The Myth of Normal, and it is about trauma, healing, and illness. That's part of the title, in a toxic culture. I just don't remember the order at the moment. But uh, it's a fantastic book, and Molly and I have spent the majority of our conversations discussing his perspective and experience when it comes to humans and our emotions and our traumas, both big T and little t trauma, and how we compensate for the experiences of our childhoods, etc. So I don't need to go too far down that hole, but I strongly encourage you all to check him out and listen to him on a podcast or follow him on Instagram, and you just might fall in love with him too. Now for my conversation with Molly. This conversation didn't start out as I typically do on here, where I have the person place themselves for the audience, uh, in the disability or special needs community, kind of give an introduction, who they are, how they came to be in this space. This conversation with Molly begins right in the middle of vulnerability, smack dab in the middle of reflection and growth and healing. And I thought it was so beautiful, such a beautiful way to start. 
So for context, I'll, let, I'll tell you that Molly's sister, Brooke, is almost 50, and Brooke lives in Michigan. Molly is her younger sister, and she is her guardian while living in California, and we get into the logistics of that. But Molly grew up in a house where her sister's disability, or even emotions for that matter, were rarely, if ever, discussed. And this has sent Molly on a quest to understand the repercussions of being left out of the conversation. And while grief and emotional suffering have been a part of her journey, she is finding her way to connection, growth, and healing, and it is beautiful to witness. Now, in the middle of all of this, there's also some great information on what guardianship looks like and what their approach to caring for an adult with PWS, PWS is and the logistics around that. And of course, there's also wise advice for parents on how to raise siblings alongside a child with PWS. So it's a fantastic conversation, and I'm excited to finally be sharing it. Now, towards the end of the conversation, we shift to a fact of PWS that, of course, has inspired a poem. For those of you who are new, I am a poet, and I sometimes like to share poetry on here. And I thought I would share it with you all after the interview, so we can just get right into the interview, and then towards the end, this topic comes up, and then uh, I'll do my poem after that. And I also just want to let you know that I have recently published my third collection of poetry, and this one even has some short stories. It's called Victory Garden, and it's available on Kindle uh, or on paperback on Amazon. If you're local, which I don't think any of you are, <laughs> but if you are, uh, send me a message. I will have copies here soon. But the poem I'm going to read is called Other, and it is in this collection uh, in Victory Garden, and it's alongside a few other poems that I have written specifically about Freya. I have I have a lot of them uh, because I use poetry as a way to process my emotions, and so I have a lot of poems about mothering so if you're interested in the book, I'll put the link in the show notes. If you're a poetry fan or if you would like to support me, then I hope you'll check it out and order a copy. And if you do, one of the best ways to support my work is to leave a review, especially a good one. Um, <laughs> that always helps, but uh, it doesn't have to be long, but I think that we all know how algor algorithms and such work and things like that Um or at least we have an idea. So anyway, so if you would like to uh, help out an artist, <laughs> you can buy my book and then leave a review. That would be fantastic. Anyway, so yeah, stick around after the interview to hear me read my poem, Other, and I'm sure it's one that many of you all will be able to relate to. But with that, I hope that you all are doing well. Thank you for hanging in there. I know I don't put out many episodes these days, uh, like I said, just, I don't have a lot of time, but I will keep getting them out there when I do. So, uh, take care, enjoy the coming spring. And as always, thanks for being here. So I think like my mom has asked me over the years, like, do you feel like you got enough attention as a kid? And I was like, oh yeah, I did. You know, I, I mean, how do you, you don't really know when you're a kid, what's missing. And I think, um, our friend, Dr. Mate illuminated that it's not necessarily like some people have serious trauma and like, you know, I, don't, I, I think his story, 
I don't know where, I think this came from something I read, like somebody who, um, whose parent, uh, when they were young, put them in the dryer when they went out to do, uh, the mom was a prostitute and she had to go out at night and didn't have childcare. So figured that the kid would be okay in the dryer because they couldn't get out and they were safe in there. So I realized, you know, it's not worth comparing what happened, but, um, I think what happened with me is it was what was left out. Um, it's it's, you know, not getting the protection I needed when I needed it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which then, and this is, this does be sad, but left me feeling like there's something wrong with me. (laughs) Um, and my mom told me that she didn't feel like she had the capacity, the emotional capacity to give my sister and I the same amount of attention and that Brooke needed so much more help and support. So she made the decision. She's like, I just have to give it to this child with special needs because the other child, me, is so strong and independent and so capable. And she's like, I always felt conflicted about that. Mm. And she never listened to the wisdom of that conflict until now. Because she said, where do you think the self-loathing came from? And I said, well, I think it was the armor of invulnerability that I put on as a response to my environment. No fault of anyone. I mean, she was doing the best she could. Uh, So that was, um, that broke my heart (laughs) to a million pieces. And then um, I started to heal from it. You know, it explained, no, nothing is inherently wrong with me. I was simply responding to an environment mm-hmm. um where my needs were you know my my emotional um and it's no wonder that my sister and I had so much conflict because we were competing for attention and this is right. something that I've only been able to put into you know I've only been able to like understand in the last couple of years as I as I've gone down this path of like well first it was I I discovered that I tend to live in this like realm of (laughs) self-loathing and it dawned on me that there's another way, you know, a different way to be. Um, So that's what kind of started this whole, uh, this whole, like, I knew I needed to understand, like, because when I look back at my childhood, I'm like, oh, it was fine. I had everything I needed. You know, I had loving parents, like, but then I doing a deeper inquiry into what was missing. Um, and it made me, you know, I have a lot of compassion for my mom too, because she didn't know what else to do. She, and she said, like, I felt conflicted about this until now, (laughs) you know, she knew in her heart that, um, I was getting left out, Uh but it certainly, it's a gift to be able to share the truth, you know, to be able to share my experience with her and then have her accept it for what it is. And then 
share her own. And I guess, you know, power of vulnerability, which is what, you know, Brene Brown has made uh, a mainstream topic, which is wonderful, I think, for uh, for everybody who reads her stuff and listens to her stuff. So um, that has, uh, that conversation has just deepened my understanding of what happened in my environment in relation to having a sibling with special needs. And then um, it's it's just no wonder that my sister and I had so much conflict growing up. Um, and not my sister's fault either, obviously. She was just also doing her thing, you know, yeah. as all adolescents, you know, as all kids, like we need certain things. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's great that your mom brought that up. Do you think that you would have ever, like, so it sounds like her bringing that up kind of brought some clarity to you about her experience and that maybe you wouldn't have ever gotten to if she hadn't been the instigator in that conversation. Yeah, I, well, she asked me where, I said, I. she asked me where I thought, she's like, when do you think you started, like, when did the self-loathing start? And um in in the myth of normal, there's this section about what happens to people. Like the question that comes up always is like, who did you turn to when you were scared um, and needed help? Like all of that. And my answer is nobody. I, I didn't mm-hmm. have anybody to turn to when I when I was feeling emotional distress. Um and and that's her sharing her experience, which is she just didn't feel like she could give me what she could give us both what we needed emotionally. Um, explains it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I always assumed that she had, um, you know, a lot of times this sort of thing is passed down generation to generation. Like you learn from your parents um, how, how to raise a family or you learn from your family environment. Um, so that has set me free in, in a lot of ways. I had already discovered that it, nothing, you know, like the challenges I had were not my fault and they were largely invisible. I think too, to most people, like, I was a perfectly capable functioning person and went on to like start a business that was successful and do all the things that on the exterior look like, oh, this, this person is doing just fine. Whereas inside I was just like, ah, it was just like completely, um, not fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So so has it just been uh, kind of in these, because I know just from talking with you, kind of this last year, it seems like it's really been uh, like, a, like a really re- introspective journey um, with the help of our, our friend, Gabor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you, like, are you learning how to, how to open up more, how to be more vulnerable? Is that, or is that like that shield is kind of really in place or... 
Um, yes, I think that um, I'm I'm realizing that a lot of people, I mean, we all put on armor of some sort to cope with with challenges in our lives. Um, and I think uh, that invulnerability was developed like specifically in my um, family dynamic. And so that's where I feel like it was most um, pronounced. I mean, I've had, um, I think, you know, intimacy issues, certainly in my 20s, but had figured out a way to kind of let my guard down outside of the family dynamic. Nice. Um, but it, it just, yeah. I I knew that my issues began in childhood. And so I needed to go back. I needed to revisit what happened there to start to heal and move on. I had already like in the last couple of years, my sister and I have finally started to develop a deeper relationship. And I think I mentioned before Lisa Graziano's um, PWS behavior management. Yes. Um, <laughs> Love series. it. <laughs> I mean, I just, that, that was as far as a relationship with Brooke, that, that helped a ton because I, things that frustrated me about her, I now know are just part of the way her, her brain, you know, things, it's just the way her brain works. So I think it was a combination of things. Um, the self-compassion work I'm doing combined with understanding how her brain is different and what her challenges are and what she is capable of and what she needs help with. Um, that clarity really helped me have more patience <laughs> and set realist, you know, just be since, since I'm, I guess it would be useful for everybody to know that I'm Brooke's guardian and I manage her care. She lives independently, but I, I manage her, her care. And so staff training is definitely a pillar of that. So it feels, I mean, part of it is that, that, that's a huge piece, just understanding the differences. And, and then when issues come up, we refer back to it every time, like anytime there's a behavioral issue or there's a thing, it's like, hold on, let's, let's refer back to, um, I can give you an example. Um, Brooke was asked to, uh, she, she has a schedule and when things get added, somebody needs to know, we need, we need to just like keep track of the things. Cause she does, she has a couple, she has two different jobs and she has recreation, like swimming and yoga and these other things. She, Brooke will not, it doesn't occur to Brooke. Brooke isn't proactive in saying, oh, I, you know, something got scheduled. So, but her staff oftentimes will, will know that something got scheduled so the manager had asked, um, could Brooke let her know when something gets scheduled? Well, it's not in Brooke's, it doesn't, she just know is the answer. So instead of continuing to try to ask her to do something that she maybe 
isn't capable of doing now the staff just lets the manager know when something's added or if there's a staffing issue or a scheduling issue versus continue you know versus getting frustrated with Brooke for not being proactive which I think is a a big ask for somebody with PWS right (laughs) stuff like that I mean Jenny is it's Yes. The st- and I, the staff, I mean, some of them get it and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just constant training, but we have that to refer back to and it makes everything so much easier. Do they call you a lot for issues? Like when issues pop up, like, do you feel like you're kind of always on call? Um. Since I am like once removed, I there is a, a manager who, oh. but yes, I got a call this morning. Um, so I do get called, but do they go to the um, manager first. The oh. staff does, the staff goes to the manager first. And, um, another thing I'm working on is getting our county to recognize the role of support broker. It's in the Medicaid provider manual, which I think is the Medicaid provider manual different state to state. I would think so. I mean, okay. I can't confirm that, but I would think so. That's an interesting, that would be an interesting question because Brooke has a self-determination plan and she lives in her own home and she has community living support staff um, 12 hours a day. The role of support broker is um support and it's it's in the same it's the same pay code as support coordinator is does california use this terminology or no <laughs> i don't know i mean Frey is 12 so i'm not okay. there yet okay so oh, you sure. can translate this into california language if if it's different but there's a support coordinator who just kind of oversees so the funding is tied to the plan, the individual plan of service and the goals in the plan of service are what CLS staff do assist the consumer with. And that's how the funding is. And that's how they're paid essentially through Medicaid. It's like, they do these things. It takes this long each day and everything's recorded. The role of support broker is to hire staff, help the help the person with budget, train staff. Um, so for an individual who has a self-determination plan, if a family member isn't available to do those things for them, it's nearly impossible to have a self-determination plan unless you um, get staffing through an agency. Uh-huh. Because there's, I mean, Brooke would have no way of doing those things. So who I am referring to as the manager is going to become a support broker, which is, which will be paid through Medicaid, hopefully. Um, So she does those things. So it's for Brooke. And it's a role that hasn't, since self-determination plans are somewhat new in the last, I don't know how many years, but it's still like counties are still adapting so this role was is not one that's been uh, that people have been using because it's not been implemented. All even though it exists in the language, oh. 
Like what, she, what state? She's in Michigan? She's in Michigan. In Michigan. Okay. Yeah, because that probably, like you said, probably varies state by state. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and can you, because um, you you are Brooke's guardian, but yeah. your mom is still alive. Um, yes. So can you tell us how or why you became her guardian? So I became her guardian because um, our dad passed away and it's something that is filed. It's with the probate court. So we just figured, why not make me the guardian now? And uh, my mom is still involved, but as far as the paperwork and managing her care, um, I, I just somehow was, uh, put in that position, I guess, considered most capable in the family to, um, provide that for her. Yeah. Well, if this isn't too personal of a question, but does that kind of feed into some of that, those feelings from childhood as well? Like, does that kind of compound this process? I think it may, it was, um, it was something that I had to reconcile in order to uh, fulfill that role in her life. So it was part of it. I mean, it took a while, like the first, so I've been her guardian for about 10 years and there was a huge learning curve to understand how the services are, like how the whole system works. Very frustrating at first. So that is what started it. And then um, as I, like prior to COVID, the services, we contracted with an agency to provide services to Brooke. One agency, um, we were dropped by an agency for being too difficult after, gosh, a long time a long time. We just, and, and I understand, um, these agencies in Michigan are not set up to provide, uh, they're set up to provide community living support services in general, but the specific needs of somebody with PWS are just not covered. So the training that the staff were getting just wasn't appropriate for somebody with PWS. In Michigan, there's an option for um, independent services. Like uh, they call it, uh, what's the term? Um, You can essentially hire your own staff through a fiscal intermediary or have fiscal intermediary is the employer. Um, but we hire the staff. I, I hire the staff. <laughs> and that's where the role of support broker comes in because um, it's 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 first, it's a big ask for a family member to to manage that as um, for as time goes on. Like, for example, my mom's eighty three. so, what happens when she passes and Brooke is still, you know, Brooke still has however many years left, but needs this, needs somebody to staff, 
do all the things to enable her to live independently. So when the whole thing crumbled during COVID, we decided it was finally time to hire people ourselves and train them. And that has been, that has transformed Brooke's quality of life beyond all recognition. It really, I mean, it's been, I can't believe we waited so long to do it, but we just, we didn't know. And we were like, how, how, how do we manage? How do, how do we train, manage, like put her house, um, like, how do we do that? And none of us live in Grand Rapids where Brooke lives. So, um, how did she end up in Grand Rapids? That's where we grew up. Oh, okay. She okay. lives in the community where we, um, grew up and where she's, she, she likes it there. She has, she has community there. She's really, um, moving her would be super disruptive and, and I yeah. don't even know what that, that would be a last resort really. And she, you said she lives on her own. She lives on her own. Lives on her own. And so she has support 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's incredible. And we, um, she has an alarm system that is set. So of course all the food is locked, um, in her home. And then, uh, when staff leaves, they set an alarm. So if she were to open the door, the front door, the alarm would go off. So obviously if she needed to evacuate her house because of an emergency, she could. It's Uh not that she's locked in, but the alarm is enough of a deterrent. So if she were to have money and order food, whomever delivered it would you know, the alarm would go off. There's no way for someone to enter her house without the alarm going off. Okay. And that's enough of a deterrent for her, but we've had all of the typical instances, you know, there's been the alarm hasn't been set. There was a window that didn't have an alarm set. She had money from, I mean, it's, it it makes the internet, you know, everything being digital makes it, we're always, plugging holes, you know, food, food security holes. No, I mean, it's not constant, but you know, things come up. Right. And she has a lot of, uh, you know, she has, she's, she's going to be 50 in March and, um, you know, she has internet access and a lot of freedom online, you know, stuff that we, I mean, we, you, you can't control every aspect of somebody's life. and. <laughs> So there yeah. is some there is a little bit of food security that comes with that, but we don't have like I, I was tracking the instant incidents that we have, and it's it seems like about once a year there's some something, but I think her quality of life, you know, she has expressed um, she did live in um, a group home, she lived in different like facilities for I don't know maybe six or seven years, and they just never. Really she wasn't worked. a fan. She, she wasn't a fan. And my okay. mom wasn't a fan. She was restricted in ways that um seemed uh yeah, she just too many restrictions for her. Yeah. But now we have this whole um this whole house, you know, operating manual, how her house is set up 
with everything. Um, and that's something that I'm working with um, PWCF and we, we may share some of that in a webinar series um, for others who want to set up an individual, you know, an independent living situation for their person. It's, it, there's a lot that goes into it. I bet. Yeah. Well, so, but there's a lot of parents that want to know about it too. I mean, you know, being the mom of someone who's 12, I mean, I'm still just now getting into the whole puberty information yeah. and people are talking guardianship and, you know, like you got to start. Yeah. I'm like, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out puberty. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'm happy to be a resource for that. Um, Cause I realize it's, it's been a work in progress for us. And it's um, now that she's, now that we're not um, dealing with agencies, um, we have a lot more flexibility in, well, first of all, we can, we are able to offer specific to PWS training, which has been the game changer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I just had friends been at the same school um, since kindergarten and every year, like I've, I've written a letter, I've sent them information, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why I waited so long. Um, but Lisa did a Zoom training for the teachers. Frank was going into sixth grade. So they've all known her since kindergarten. And, you know, so many of them came up to me and thanked me for that. And they said that it was the best training they've ever had. And, you know, my younger uh, daughter's teacher got a little, you know, teared up. She was like, I didn't realize. So that was, you know, it was intense, but like, I realized that I was not giving them enough information. Like I was still trying to convince them, you know, that Freya was okay enough to be at the school. So I wasn't going too deep, I guess, but. Um, I mean, knowledge is power. That's actually, yeah. I got that feedback from Brooke's staff. It illuminated so many little things. One of the biggest things for me was abstract thinking. Um, it's something that we just take for granted. Well, somebody with PWS has challenges with that. Included in that is time management. Like if you were to say to Brooke, we're leaving at six, you need to be ready to walk out the door at 6 p.m. That means nothing. <laughs> So things like that. And that's always a thing. Well, she doesn't get ready to go on time, you know? And it's like, well, that's, we needed to just reframe it. And it's, we're helping her, the The whole, this, you know, staff responsibility is to give her prompts to be able to get ready to go on time. She doesn't, she does not have the tools to do that on her own. Yeah, And that's one of the things like you see this 50 year old person and you're like, what do you mean they can't get ready to go? You know, it's just, there's that disconnect, but understanding where, and also the slower processing speeds, like uh -huh. if you were to say, um, your shoes are under your bed, grab the keys, you know, we're leaving. Yeah. She would hear we're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and then she would get upset because she'd be like, I don't have, I'm not I ready. Shit together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard one. I mean, that's a hard one for me sometimes even. And I, I know it, I've done the trainings. Like I've, I've interviewed Lisa, like I've, and I've rewatched the trainings and yeah. it's still, there is sometimes where I'm like, 
you are 12 years old. You should be able to do this. And it's just like my brain, it's like my brain has a struggle to understand that brains work differently. And yeah. But once you do understand and can act accordingly, it is so much easier. So the trainings are so good. Yes. Critical. And also they apply to just the, the concepts are applicable to all of us. Right. It's like <laughs> just empathy hatred, and compassion. <laughs> compassion. Yes. Um, yeah. Have I, you, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. Avoiding power struggles. You know, that's a, I, I think I'm not a parent, but I know from all my parent friends, that's one, you know, you get stuck in these things of like, well, you have to wear pants because that's what we do when we go into public, you know, it's just like, how do you explain? Yeah. So we just had that this morning. My husband took my girls um, and Freya wanted to wear her pajama pants and they're going out to, out to the Hills, like to our place where it's like, you know, I was like, fine. Yes, you can. But her dad wasn't there for that part of the conversation. But then like when she's wearing her jamming pants and he's like, Freya, I need you to change your pants. Like you can't go hiking through the woods in those. And I was like, no, no, no. Like look at him. I'm like, we've already just, do you want to like, just stop. Like it was already a thing. Cause I could just tell these last few days for whatever reason, I don't know. Like she's, you know, usually really mellow and easy, but then it's like, she'll have a little phase where things are so challenging, like every little thing. And you've got kind of that, um, like this PTSD of just like, oh, I'm gonna like, no, I don't want, I don't want to blow up right now. And I think about her sister, you know, her little sister is the same age difference that you are from Brooke. And so um, I think about that sometimes, like, I, you know, I do what I can to kind of minimize the conflict. Um, and But then I see Rona, my youngest, stepping in and trying to minimize that conflict as well. And I see her, you know, putting her needs aside. And I've told her, like, you don't have to fix this situation. This isn't your responsibility. And she's like, no, I'm okay. Like, you know, so it's interesting that dynamic. And I'm trying to be really conscious of it and really aware and not, you know, not let it go down that road of just like, well, Freya's needs get met because she's going to make a bigger fuss about it. Right. I think, I think, and that, that dynamic probably exists among siblings um, to a degree based on age, you know, as, right. but uh, it was never explained to me. I think my parents, they wanted to protect me and we have an older sibling, um, but my, our older brother and I, we, we talk about like, we had different parents because, you know, seven years difference, they, they are different people. So my brother and I have kind of marveled at some, you know, the differences in the environment of our childhood, despite being in the same house for many years. Um, but um, I, my parents, in an effort to protect us from having uh, some of the challenges of having somebody with special needs, um, left just left me out of the conversation. So I didn't know. I, I just, I didn't. I, I ended up resenting my sister instead of understanding how I could help and support and be a part, which is what all kids want. You know, I wanted, had I been included in the conversation, would I have had 
the issues that I had um, largely invisible. I mean, I think most people who know, I, you know, I had I had trouble um, being close with um, with friends throughout middle school and high school. I had a lot of friends, but I was never very close to anybody. And that I think was just this armor that was, uh, that I, that I had developed subconsciously. I mean, it was only in hindsight that I was able to go, oh yeah, that's exactly what I did. Do you think that families, uh, well, cause like you said, Brooks almost 50. So I imagine things with PWS education and awareness and all of that looked very different uh, when she was, when you guys were kids, um, do you think that it's easier now for families with uh, with all the organizations and social media? Do you think there's more support, more understanding? Or is there, um, do you see a lack of? I think there's more support. I okay. don't know that it's easier. Right. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the right word. <laughs> Um, like one of the things my mom told me, I didn't know this. Brooke and I were in the same school, sixth grade. She, I was in sixth and she was in eighth. Um, my mom picked her up for, for lunch every single day of middle school because the school could not accommodate her needs around food and the lunch hour. I had no idea until recently. I mean, I must just have been oblivious to that. How could I have? And then I think back on my mom and I don't think she, and it could have been her personality, but like she, she didn't have, she had the support of the PWS community. Um, there was a local, there's a local community, but I don't know that she thought to like ask friends for help or, you know, bring, develop a community of support for herself and whether she would as a parent today because of you know like I think the work that um uh Jess Pate the um her organization and um, we are brave together um and other people who are like with a loudspeaker going this is hard and Mm -hmm. and and it's okay. You know, whether my mom would have been able to connect with um, a larger group of people, um, I'm not sure, but. Yeah. And at least, you know, give herself, (laughs) realize that uh, she was up against something that is heartbreaking and hard and um, scary and all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I mean, I think that, you know, there is a lot of support out there, uh, for parents, moms, especially, um, I see a lot of that and it seems like there's growing support and awareness on siblings, sibling experiences. And I've just tried trying to figure out how to like get Rona involved. She's a little young for the like zoom meetings or the Facebook. Are those happening? Um, I thought they were going to start happening. I participated in one conversation and I, it was, uh, but they were like figuring, they were going to try to figure out the best format considering age range. Um, 
And the one conversation that I was a part of was great. It was me, um, a parent and a younger, a twin, actually, somebody who um, had a twin. And I think that stuff is invaluable. I mean, I would like to participate more. It's just at the PWS USA conference, the last two I've been to, they've had a sibling panel, which I think is cool. Um, There used to be... um, maybe there still is like a sibling program, like a, you know, there's the adult, the young adult program, and there used to be a program for siblings. And I remember going to that program as a like elementary school age kid. And at the time, do you mean at the conferences at the conference? Yeah. Oh, okay. like the siblings could go, they had their own camp. Um, yeah. I think they had that last year. Um, they, and they're going to, they're going to have it at the next one too. Cause I would love for Rona to do something like that. Cause I try and talk to her about it, but you know, I don't know that she's going to be honest with me, you yeah. know, cause I think she's got this element of trying to make it easier for me, which is sweet and heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think sibling support is kind of another way it's, you know, I think, FPWR did a, um, they're doing some, they did a, I don't think the results of the study are out yet, but they were interviewing siblings and asking, you know, trying to determine um, what the needs are, what the needs are. So it's starting. um, And I, with, um, as a PWCF board member, um, they wanted the sibling perspective. And I kind of struggled with like, how do I, what, how, how do I bring that and how do I just reach out to the community? And I was really excited to see that PWS USA was doing something. Um, I'm just like, oh, I don't know how to help other people. Other, I mean, I think we, we know that talking about it and connecting with people is, is really important. Um, but yeah. how do you, how do you structure it? <laughs> how do you structure? And I imagine there's an element of like, how do you, also talk to younger like children about this like you don't want to like yeah I can see where that would be challenging I myself would not have been able to even you know I I don't even know that I would have been able to talk about it much in in until the last couple of years and I'm gonna be 48 but I think there are plenty of um there I'm I'm probably not alone in that. And I think there are a lot of people who start talking about it from the beginning. So. Yeah. Yeah. Personally. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing my mom has talked about is um, the guilt she feels like now that Brooke, you know, just not being Brooke's caregiver, recognizing that she needed that um, she needed to outsource um, the direct care duties uh, that that's been uh, a huge challenge for her. And I've thought like, if she would be willing, I know from talking to other parents whose um, person lives outside of the family home, you know, that that's also, a, that's just a big challenge because it's um, there's just, there's all the just, all the things that you as a parent um, provide for that person. And is somebody else going to have the same? My mom's big thing is like, 
clothing and what she wears and making sure there's no stains on the clothes and, you know, just the outfits that she, the appearance <laughs> is a big, you know, is, and it goes on and on, you know, hygiene and yeah, all this, all the things, but, um, she just, she, she made that decision. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's one that, yes, it comes with the feelings of guilt and whatever, but it's okay too. I mean, Brooke is very happy and wouldn't, she loves where she lives and she is, uh, she, like, I also have, one of the things I think about as her guardian is not projecting my vision of, you know, it's, I think it's called ableism, you know, being like, well, I think this is what, you know, this is my idea of community. So this must be your idea of community right. too. And taking a step back and, and asking her um, what matter, you know, what are the important elements of a happy life? And they're different from me and that's, that's okay. And it's something that I do keep in check when, um, when, it just and my role in her life as guardian is just um so yeah no that's a good point yeah not projecting our own desires and needs and what would make she, us happy yeah she lives alone and i think she's isolated and as she gets older i think um and as as we know somebody with pws doesn't just call a friend to go to a movie or go for a walk or do anything outside of the home so or out without somebody um there to make sure um there's food security which is really at the heart of all this so uh but she likes living alone. She doesn't feel lonely. She doesn't. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a, a lesson from Freya this year because she's been really struggling with her peers in her class. And there was some, you know, some bullying and then um, nothing too crazy, but like, you know, just not being super empathetic. And then for Freya kind of built up bigger. And then we were on this field trip a five-day camp out and you know I was just so stressed about like you know god she needs to be in there interacting in this way and all this stuff and we were you know walking somewhere and they were up ahead and I said you should go catch up to your friends and she said they're not my friends and like I had a moment of just you know like it was sad but then also there it was so liberating in a way and it's been it's been great this year because I was like yeah you know what those aren't your friends like you have friends, like she has other friends that are in younger grades that she, that are kind to her and they seek her out. And, you know, like these kids, as long as they're respectful of her, which, you know, they are for the most part, um, they don't have to be her friend. You know, I, like I had this thing like, oh God, she's got to be in the friend group in the class. And, you know, cause it's a small school, mm -hmm. but anyway, so she really liberated me from that. She was like, they're not my friends. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> so, it's um, that's how I felt like when I took a step back and started, you know, just asking Brooke those questions, I was like, oh yeah, I'm projecting my view of name the situation. It's nice to find that clarity. <laughs> yeah. So, so as far as, you know, what you've been kind of processing these last few years, 
what would you say you've learned the most from Gabor? Like what's been the the deepest, most um, powerful lesson for you? Um, it's not my fault. Yep. Life is what it is and people are who they are. And I love that he leaves room for accepting and acknowledging that we're all trying, you know, hopefully we're all trying our best. Our parents, they did the best they could with what they had and we're doing the best we can with what we have. Yeah. That and, um, like I always looked back, I kind of dismissed my childhood as the root of some of my issues because I had everything I needed and, um, there's when I, when I learned from Gabor that it's not, it's, it's what, it's what's missing. That also has an impact. That's when I was like, that's when I tuned into, uh, doing a deeper dive into, my childhood experience. And, um, that's when I found like some of the maladaptive behaviors that I, uh, developed were had to do with my basic needs and not getting that like, um, attachment, you know, we, if we don't, if our needs aren't being met, we compromise ourselves um, so our needs are met and those compromises, um, can, you know, are, are not necessarily, are not necessarily sustainable. <laughs> so I think I was encouraged to do a little deeper dive into, um, into the, my childhood environment. And that's when I discovered, that's when I was able to like, and I knew that I wanted to have these conversations with my mom. I just didn't know how or where to start. Yeah. So understanding what I, my response has just been life-changing Yeah. <laughs> and recognizing like, it's not my fault. I developed these these behaviors um because it's what I needed to do in order to um like I guess survive yeah. in my world so yeah that was really eye-opening for me when I was reading and um about that you know yeah we when we're young we need to be we need to feel accepted by our parents and our and our safety unit our family and when we show up in our authentic selves which sometimes can be too emotional for said parents <laughs> we have to kind of like you know um kind of shift a bit and 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 put a mask over that that part that's not really being accepted um that yeah. that the act of putting that mask on so that we can then show up and be accepted. And so, but we're not being our, 
our authentic selves. It's exactly, it's the authentic and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then him going into, you know, how that leads to addiction and things like that. Like, I just, I love him. We, we both love him. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, some of my coping mechanisms over the years have been alcohol, food, uh-huh. uh, all the stuff. It's like, right. <laughs> it's, um, and I realize in my desire to change the way I feel in my environment, like that's kind of been the theme. Um, yeah. And then I, I tuned into, uh, I started to understand that I'm, I'm, I'm fine exactly the way I am. but definitely tuning into like the uh you know the fight or flight like ah get me out of here I don't like the way this feels (laughs) Uh yeah so and then I was reading that um people in uh like middle age start to um kind of reflect back and then think like how do I want the next how do I want the next half of my, what do I, how do I want the next half of my life to look? And, uh, that's when I, um, started to just, I guess it's just the time in my life too. And I'm like, hmm, okay, I've got like half my life left. <laughs> how does it, how do I want to feel? What matters to me? Yeah. Just doing that sort of inquiry of like, so. Yeah. Like that. And I realized that the relationship with my sister was one that, um, needed to be, I just needed to, I needed to, uh, I needed a ton of work. (laughs) So. And you've been working on it. It sounds like, like the two of you are getting closer and do you talk about your childhood with her in that way? Or, I mean, is it kind of an appropriate conversation for her or no? Um, she has said you've changed. Like I've said, I'm so sorry for not knowing, not knowing how to be friends. And she's so forgiving and understanding. It's just, but she was like, well, you've changed. And it's just, and it's kind of as simple simple as that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh I mean one of the things about Brooke, one of the things about Brooke is she doesn't hold on, you know, she gets she doesn't hold grudges, she's very forgiving and accepting and so yeah. That's sweet. And I think my mom, I don't know what my mom would tell her. I think she said, oh, Molly's just that way <laughs> by explanation of like, you know, being impatient, whatever I, you know, just really it was not knowing how to have a relationship with her. Um, it would have been nice if someone had been like, let's talk about your challenges. <laughs> Like what's really going on, you know, noticing the conflict as some sort of a struggle that I was having and obviously not able to 
uh, deal with or manage on my own. Um, but that just wasn't, that was not the case. But I think um, Brooke was reassured that <laughs> I wasn't a psycho killer. <laughs> and I was just, you know, hot-headed, you know, whatever it was. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, uh, we have been able to talk about it, which in it, which has been, I think, which has been helpful. I, I realize that it's not about, it's not so much about Brooke. It's really about me and my, she's, she's just, um, yeah, she is just sort of unfazed. <laughs> Um, it's interesting. She's the one, uh, with this, like I, I mentioned, I had knee surgery in November and she's like, ask, checking in and see how it's going. I always tell her that it's really hard and some of the challenges. And she's the one that's like, um, she, she and my husband actually have given me the same advice, which is it just takes time. You have to be patient. You'll get (laughs) all the stuff. Um, she just seems to be more accepting of what is, um, which is, uh, she, it's a nice, um, sounding board for me. Cause I tend to be the one that's like, ah, I don't like this. Get me out of here. And she's like, eh, this will pass. This too shall pass. I mean, she doesn't say it in those words, but that's sort of her worldview, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Freya, um, she has that, that, she's got this a softness about her that um I, that i appreciate and i think about when you know when like the literature says that people with pws aren't empathetic and i'm like i don't i disagree with that there like you know there's so many times that freya can kind of read my feelings or you know my vibe or whatever and just are you okay mama you know and just comes in with that sweetness and that you know she does have that element of it's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. and I just think it's really sweet yeah yeah like the bits of wisdom that Brooke has shared I'm just like are somewhat surprising um sometimes because she is intuitive and she is um she's a one of the things uh she she is um when people treat her differently because of her differences um uh-huh. she is sensitive to that she notices and um and she probably doesn't like it no no <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's that's um that's another thing that i find interesting like if we're together somewhere talking to someone some people will respond to me instead of her Oh. And um, you know, that's and that happens that happens um to everybody, I think, sometimes, but yeah. I think more it can happen to people with special needs more. And um yeah, she's just she is self-aware. I have to always remember. I was just wondering if you had any, you know, to going through this uh, reflection these past year, few years, um, do you do you have any advice for families that have siblings how to, you know, move forward in a way that's maybe a little more um, encompassing of everyone's needs? I don't, I don't know how to ask that question, but. I would say um, 
I think including everybody in the conversation about the challenges the family faces having somebody with special needs. One of, and specifically like with PWS, um, the person will never live independently. And I think about this, like if, if there was a crisis, we have natural supports in place for Brooke, but like, I can't get to Michigan. It would take me a day to get there. Um, but she can't without access to food, you know, she can't, um, she can't 24 hours would be, you know, potentially uncomfortable because it's just, they're always going to need support. And, um, there's no, uh, like one of the agendas, um, the community living supports is help the help helping people achieve greater independence. Well, there's kind of a ceiling for somebody with PWS because of the food security, because they cannot have, you know, there's some, yeah. they're that's, that's, and that's an overwhelming proposition, I think, to think like, wow, this person is going to need, uh, but I think talking about it and talking about it as much as possible, including everybody in the conversation, sharing feelings. Um, I think it's, I, I, I know, I mean, maybe I would have cracked much earlier had I had, um, some, if I knew how to talk about it. Right. Had more opportunities to talk about it, mm -hmm. a space where it was encouraged for you to talk about it. I mean, I didn't have like friends came over and uh, we just didn't talk about it. And I don't, that wasn't like having a locked kitchen, I don't think was something that I was embarrassed about or had any, it just was what it was. But, um, I mean, we just didn't talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know from Dr. Mate, when you don't talk about things, you're left wondering, you know, you, um, the assumption is something is wrong with you. Um, if you are the only one, if you think you're the only one having feelings about anything, <laughs> uh -huh. I wish my dad was still alive. Cause it would have been cool to just learn more from him. Like what was his experience? And my mom has shared some things about his experience, um, but it would have been uh, just. I wanted to hear it from him. It, yeah. So yeah, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And I think it is hard. And I think we can't deny that. And there's fear and heartbreak and grief and all of those things and all of those things are okay. They're normal responses to um, a situation. So I'm just glad that I know that now. <laughs> Other. People with PWS are unable to live successful, independent lives. I have tucked this menacing grain of sand deep into my psyche, fashioned it a home made of denial and fear, a roof built on isolation, beams carved from grief. To be an other is one thing. 
to raise an other, a tumultuous wave pounding against a rocky shore, no rhythm to the swell but chaotic breaks, swirling phobias of doubt, I, a dingy, beaten-up lifeboat trying to get past the break, paddling against the current, against the foamy crash, against the raging momentum churned from oceans deep, steering towards the songbird sky where most families spread checkered blankets, watch children run and play, witness independence with each step. Some days, the sea calms. We can pool in our oars and rest a while. Some days even hear tittering from a bird's chest, the fluttering of quiet wings on shore. Some days our boat drifts away from the craggy shore, begins to amble towards the beach where families play. Clouds build again on the horizon agitate the water and toss us about, slap against the worn slats of wood, and we must say goodbye to those families on the beach with their promising futures and inspiring freedoms and use the oars to steady the boat again. My daughter is unable to live a successful, independent life. I have tucked this menacing grain of sand deep into my psyche and try like hell to fashion it into a pearl.